and welcome to the Cherry Steam. <laughs> With background effects. With extra background effects. Um, but an imperfect show, that's what you that's what you you, you signed up for. But it's it's real, it's raw. You may be coming through as like hella background, that's okay. I'm yelling across the room. I wish I had my phone with me because I wrote up a sweet little intro. But now I don't have. That oh, next man. time when I do it, I will pretend like I'm just speaking just from, from the top the of top of my top of my imagination. So uh, thanks again, all of you viewers and listeners, for being here. And uh, we'll still probably continue doing the show without you, but you make it all so much more fun. <laughs> so thanks for that. Uh, and of course, we are brought to you by uh, most of the listeners, such as yourself, but also patrons, such as some of yourselves. And we wouldn't be doing the show without them. <laughs> and we would not be doing the show without patrons. That is very true. So take a look at patreon.com slash Cherry. Give if you're able. Uh, unlock. Awesome. Safe for work. Mostly. Uh, <laughs> as in like... Sort of. Lewd, just not nude. No, we try. Uh, <laughs> everything under the hardcore mode tries to stay, you know. We try to keep it. It's it's hard for it's us. Hard. It's very difficult. It's we, really difficult. We, but we're uh, X-rated by nature. You should be safe at the challenger mode, uh, unless I send a request uh, asking if you are okay or not. And then uh, if you're okay with 18 plus, then you might get some of those rewards as well. Because yes, we are X-rated by nature. That's what you get when you listen to a science podcast made by by porn people. That's that's what happens. Uh, you did this to yourselves. <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome. Uh, we are finishing up uh, our fourth and hopefully final installment of uh, Jordan B. Peterson. <laughs> Jordan Peterson is actually uh, Nordic. You didn't know that. We, we've decided he's Nordic now. I think Icelandic. Yeah, I, I think I've decided he's Icelandic. Deep. Uh, and yes, there is uh, aberrant noise. That should end soon. That should end soon, end soon that you may or may not be hearing, um, depending on the threshold of this microphone. However, uh, let me pull up the thing that we are looking at. That and we'll probably reposition the microphone so it doesn't sound like I'm yelling from across the room like I actually am right now. I know, that'd be great. Uh, for me to do that, that would be awesome. I would love to do that. Um, all right, cool. That is what we're trying to take care of. The <laughs> carpets are not clean enough. No. We have the uh, typical nerdy proclivity to have allergies and things like that. <laughs> we have generalized microsensitivity as well, which is not useful when living in a time <laughs> that isn't living, a you desert. Can just, you can just in say that. any non-desert climate, but also satisfying. If you'd like an instant replay on that. Oh, that's much more satisfying. <laughs> Just a little ASMR for you folks. <laughs> Alright, I'm barely uh, mobile, so I can sit to accommodate. Yes, you can change you your location. Matter of fact, you can change the location of those big black boxes. Ooh, those and then so change big. your location. 
huge black, black boxes. DVDs, you see, yes. Yeah. Huge black boxes that are. Well, who knows what's inside them? They're black boxes. That's true. <laughs> Actually, they're they're an SLA printer. Uh, which I'm very happy about. Who knows what price I've paid for this? <laughs> All right. Uh, so we are here at the balance between order and chaos, meaning it's redemptive form. Whoa! Whoa! Redemption. Who knew that this was going to be about redemption? I was ready for the redemption arc. Are you sure this is where we're at? Same. I think so. I think we're on page 15, but double check. Okay, let's see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up just a little bit like I like to do here and uh, go to the paragraph. Back it up. Oh, yeah. To the paragraph beforehand where it is. Uno momento. Uno momento? Okay, sure. Whoa. Whoa. Because the, the um, noise social. I mean, when I'm talking, they can hear the noise, but at least when I'm not talking, it'll go silent. Look at that. <laughs> wow, it's so amazing. Come on, come a little silent. That's amazing. <laughs> you do good work. I know, right? It's amazing. All right. Um, okay, it is these universal rules, after all, that best specify the nature of peaceful, productive, shared territory. Disruption of these most fundamental presumptions, the active breaking of rules, or the verbal justification for such, brace, such breaking, thus presents a threat to the structure that inhabits hippocampal... Uh, that inhibits, excuse me, inhibits hippocampal disinhibition, disinhibition. Disinhibition. Wow. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a fun ride, I can tell. Disinhibition, I like that. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, to the, it presents a structure, presents a threat to the structure that inhibits hippocampal disinhibition of chaotic, motivational, and emotional responses corresponding in intensity to the hierarchical import of the map schema level such disruption effects. No, I have not talked much today. These are my first words. I have not been doing much speaking. As a matter of fact, what's weird, today, typing, I have been typing out completely different words than my mind is thinking. I mean, they're, they're fully complete and correctly spelled words, but they're not the words that, I'm, that, I'm, that I've told my fingers to produce. They're completely different words. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, but uh, I guess one apparently, yeah, yeah, it's one of those days, man. Okay. Uh, thus, it is human societies with the largest differences in opinion with regards to intrinsic human right that possess the most capability for mutual disruption of presumption and its attendant chaotic psychophysiological and social dysregulation. Does that sound so, familiar? It kind of sounds familiar. I think that's what we might have talked about. Well, I'm pretty sure that's the last thing we. Because, like, I the paragraph starts off with Vinagrada's work also sheds light on blah, 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 blah. Instantiation so. of map schema. Yeah. Plus any oh, man, hopefully I never say ha, never have to say Vinagrada's name again. Ever again. Which is not in 2001. Yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> I don't have to. I can just say B. I'm going to call her yeah. B. All right. So, basically, what is he saying here at the end of his... Last section is basically, so we got a kind of a running context here, that human societies with mm -hmm. large differences in opinion about intrinsic human right have the most capability for uh, chaotic dysregulation. Or meeting with each other or themselves. Basically, it's just saying when there's, when there's a lot of differences of opinion about what intrinsic human rights are, intrinsic human rights, not right. just, yeah. Then that society is more uh, 
set up for chaos. Uh, so the, the a bigger bigger difference in that area is, is you know going to mean there's going to be a lot more chaos. And he's saying that is because wow. of these specific ways. Those are expressions of these map schemas and how they come together and everything that we talked about in the previous Why podcast. human rights is important? Uh, why human rights? Because he was saying that human rights come from these uh, ideas of uh, that you know they're they're basically they're they're basically the development they're emergent uh, map schemas that come from the way that civilization has played itself out in these individuals' lives, uh-huh. uh, and then so so basically what he's saying is that the more the more uh, diverse your your culture, the more uh, likely it is to become disruptive. Which of course that is more yeah. diverse. Oh God, yes, of course, because if you have well, it, disruptive, what do they mean by disruptive? Yeah, in other, it's in, in other words, if there's it, a lot of difference. There's because uh, those are also more flexible to disruption. Oh, yeah. and no, but there's always well. a, a trade-off. That's the thing. Yes, it's more. It, and the thing is, he's pointing out a way in which. It, oh, good God! Okay, there was a <laughs> there was a spill. Um, these, yeah, he's pointing out. One of the negative things, and unfortunately, that's uh, where a lot of people recognize that they they usually recognize that because it's kind of simple to, to the more people have a difference in opinion, the more you're gonna fight about it. You know, it's yeah. it's it's really fucking simple, uh, and uh, and so it, it, a lot of times everybody kind of gravitates towards that opinion, uh, and he's expressing it in very very smarty pants terms, so therefore it's a, a, a extra especially true, um, but. Uh, <laughs> The uh, 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 you went in the other room here, and I guess I'm, I'm like feeling like I'm, I'm talking across the room here. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but he's trying to express that this is a way that things can go awry. Is that because of the way that it's related to these parts of our brain, the way that we develop those parts of the brain? So it's not just um, it, it all the way go, goes all the way down to a physiological level. That you know that more trite truth that. Got a difference in opinion, you don't fight about it. You know, that's uh, he's he's saying that in much, you know, much more elaborate, flowery terms that are really actually related to science. Um, however, one of the things it doesn't, of course, get to is the way in which diversity, the the, the inherent, um, what's it called? Not the inherent vulnerability of oversimplified systems. He's not actually dealing with that at all because he's staying within. Here. So, unfortunately, he's kind of expressing one side of an opinion that goes with the context that he's built and is not looking at there's an entirely different opinion. That is, it's not opinion. It's, a, it's you know, it's just factual I mean, well, across started, a wide variety of systems. But he started off so, who knows where he's going to go to in, you know, in the future? I'm hoping that he's going he, – he's now established that, you know, one aspect of it is that because of the fact that everybody doesn't have the exact same opinion, we're not all exact copies of each other, you're going to have some – level of uh, uh, problems with each other when you're yeah. not all perfect, you know, clones and you know, your, your brain isn't overwritten with everybody else's brain. Um, then you're going you're gonna to disagree on things. Um, and that can get down to a very disturbing level and, and it will actually lead to uh, conflict, of course. So, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's definitely prices to be paid. So let's see where he goes from here. We, we kind of have a, a context, I think, maybe, sort of. Uh, and uh, now let's see what he's got to say in this next section. All right. 
The balance between order and chaos, meaning in its redemptive form. We've now considered two forms of meaning in detail. That of delimited, pragmatic order, dependent on the match between the intrapsychic and social map schemas, and that of chaos, the sum total of all meanings that all phenomena possess in all the arrays they might occupy. Order structures such chaotic meaning, letting it shine forth in measured doses. When anomaly occurs, by contrast, chaos shines through of its own accord, with sometimes revolutionary and devastating results and overwhelming the alteration of the structures that delimit and constrain what would otherwise be overwhelming significance of being. Okay, I'm going to stop here for a second because so far I dislike how he's, he's not leaving room for the difference between the map and the territory. So he's tr saying is uh, he keeps talking about chaos like it's uh, like he's talking about the absolute existence of chaos, you know, in the universe, as opposed to a individual mental system's capability of dealing with the unexpected and the not the those things that are not part of its you know structure by uh, by way of its experience. So he's talking. Uh, hopefully, he's aware. But unfortunately, a lot of times people are not aware when they conflate the map with the territory. And the way that he's using terminology right now, there's very, it's very easy to conflate the map with the territory. He's saying that chaos, you know, uh, comes forth and uh, shines through of its own accord with revolutionary and devastating results. Now, he's not saying that he's basically intimating that the, that the devastating results is any time that we don't have, you know, reality perfectly under control, which that's a pedant's. Uh, complete. That's a that's a, a control freak, pedantic who usually destroys everything in their path. Uh, that's their kind of attitude that he's representing here, without saying, without the caveat that this is a simple systems conception of reality. Um, all right. So when anomaly occurs, by contrast, chaos shines through of its own accord and sometimes revolutionary and devastating results, and enforces the alteration of the structures that delimit and constrain what would otherwise be the overwhelming significance of being. So what he's saying is that uh, he may be staying within the context of a brain that sees things in these simple ways that it's, it's used to and isn't very robust in its ability to deal with you know, random elements. Uh, and so what he's saying is it forces alteration of the structures that delimit and constrain what would otherwise be overwhelming significance of being. So people with a very simplified mind have a very, uh, you know, they have a, a concept of reality that is very, you know, obvious, straightforward, direct, you know, overwhelmingly significant. So many approaches uh, to the maintenance of meaning, including those focusing on terror management, uh, consider individual belief the, si the primary source of meaning and the purpose of such belief, the restriction of anxiety and fear. Okay, so basically, when you have beliefs, uh, they're saying that the um, having beliefs restricts anxiety and fear. I would disagree that that, that is part of the whole product uh, prediction thing. In other words, the whole reason why we even why does any system store knowledge? What is the value of knowledge, you know, at all whatsoever? And that is, of course, prediction of the future and therefore preemptive action or at least appropriate reaction to, uh, to events that recur. So, uh, so the whole reason we store knowledge about the world around us uh, has to do with basically prediction and appropriate uh, reaction. So what they're saying is here is that, the, that beliefs restrict anxiety and fear. 
So if you believe that you know what the future is, then it's going to restrict your anxiety. I suppose that is somewhat true, but that is basically if you assume you know everything about what could possibly happen. Uh, and so you have this idea that you, I would say more specifically, it's only when you believe you know all that there is to know that you have a restriction of anxiety and fear. It is when you are aware of a large amount of unknown that anxiety and fear occurs. Uh, there's a, there's a general, you know, you, if you feel as though you do not know how something is going to evolve, how things are going to happen, then there is automatically unknown about what, you know, what level of danger you may be facing. So therefore it is best to then for that system to assume danger instead of assuming that everything's going to be fine. That is just the, the, the appropriate, um, you know, theoretically appropriate best response in things like game theory. However, whenever we look at game theory in the longer term, we find out that that assumption I've just said is actually not always correct. To, in other words, it is best to assume that things are just going to go wrong most of the time and therefore you plan for them. That seems like the most appropriate response, but over longer periods of time and over uh, longer interactions, we actually find out that that is not necessarily the optimum it seems at first glance. Is that the right word? At first um, examination. So let's continue forward. Within uh, such conceptualizations following Becker, human life is a futile battle. Death is the ultimate reality. All meaning systems serve to shield their adherents from that fact. Yeah, it sounds like bullshit. Uh, thus, the maintenance of meaning requires rigid allegiance to a structured system, and morality is merely the conventionality of cowardice described by Nietzsche. Yeah, except that's um, that's, that's, that's the wrong kind of mor exactly. That's a that certainly exists. Nietzsche right. is not wrong about. Okay, so simplified systems that always pick the worst possible uh, idea, and uh, you know, and just like what I was talking about. Yeah, that is true. There is like you know, codifying cowardice uh, is a uh, is kind of what those systems are. That when you live in a fear based from a fear based well, perspective, times, that's yeah. the only kind of uh, restriction people have imposed on them. But that is not the be all. Now that is a there is there are moralities that are based around that kind of perspective, absolutely. But there are moralities which are uh, take out over the long term, right? And it's that's the, that's where altruism and things like that come from. Is that nature didn't develop it because it was a good idea and it felt had, it in nature had healy feels about uh, altruism. It, it it developed because it is a more effective it's, it's system over the longer term. It is it, exactly nature developed the system from from a completely utilitarian perspective. And game useful. and game theory, we have the simplistic game theory we started out with. Communism is then, really useful for <laughs> building shit. Like it's just something nature came up well, with. Well, basically group uh, group effects in one yeah. way or another. Whenever you use the term communism, people just shut down I know, because they don't. I love it. triggering. Yeah, it sounds like psycho. <laughs> yes, you do. I love triggering. Trigger the snowflakes. Snowflakes. A lot of times, there's snowflakes that use the word snowflake a lot. They're my uh, favorite kind of snowflakes <laughs> who think they can't melt. Oh. Uh, all right. They're, so. Mwah, <laughs> it's delicious. It's, it's okay. No, enough, enough trolling. I'm trying, <laughs> enough trolling. Um, enough trolling of the troll dogs. Right. Death, though. Oh, right. <laughs> Always been my favorite. I, know, I like to hunt hunters myself. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. The um, the fundamental problem of life, however, is not the terror of death, although that is an important sub problem. Hey, that's a sub problem. Jeez. It is. It certainly is something that has to be solved. 
the fundamental problem of life is the overwhelming complexity of beings. Animals, like human beings, have to deal with complexity, although they do not necessarily have to deal with the terrors of mortality, at least in their self-conscious forms. They have, however, evolved means of dealing with chaotic complexity as embodied in their uh, psychophysiological structures. The same is true of human beings, although we have taken the elaboration of the psychological means of dealing with chaos to unprecedented levels of abstraction. We are uniquely aware of our own moral limitations. In doing so, we have increasingly come to pursue a third class of meaning. So, um, but going back to what I was saying before, is just that there, you know, game theory bears out altruism, things that, that a lot of those, those beautiful ideas of being, you know, of honor and loyalty and courage and, you know, all of those things Community that we see as beautiful, they have a real direct utilitarian, you know, uh, way of impacting reality that is the best way for robust systems to be designed. It is a systems design principle that works out and you, but you, you just have these, Reality has to deal with both short-term and long-term things that are in opposition to each other. It has to deal with individual versus group that are in opposition to each other. And the, way, the only way that you can do those things are through these very complex systems that have homeostasis and a, a kind of a cycling back and forth and something that is scale-dependent. There are scale-dependent laws and rules that are that change depending on scale, depending on you know length of time, depending on you know groups. There's a, it's, it, there's a tremendous amount of dependency in the way that morality ends up playing out, which is why people can end up having different ideas of morality. Um, but all in all, nature has, the, when you look at the overarching set of nature, there are all of these things that together make up a morality that is objective. It is not, there is not something subjective about it. It is the what had to happen for us to be here. Uh, and why we end up having this reflection of systems design. That's what morality is. It's a reflection of systems design principles that have developed over billions of years. Uh, and so the reason we have that reflection is because of those, those things. But there is an, a, a thing that, you know, you, you, I am loath to call it morality because morality is a reflection of it. But there is a best system design principle for these interactive complex systems and that's where we get morality all right so uh yep okay so there's a third class of meaning humans are pursuing a human being a human being comes into the world with a set of evolutionary determined tools some in the in the form of the very map schemas we have discussed the general purpose tools help individuals deal with the constant problems of existence such as hunger and thirst the problem of complexity of being is, however, equally constant or even more so. Thus, very sophisticated means of dealing with that problem have also evolved. The, innovative, uh, the innovation of social being itself is one such solution. Individuals group themselves into social dominance hierarchies, find their position within the phalanx, and employ the resources of the entire group against the challenges of nature and the unknown. Uh, I love his use of the word phalanx here because it gives a visual representation of like a wedge, uh, mm -hmm. uh, where it's basically as a group. Totally each, know what a phalanx is. Yes, you know what a phalanx is. It's basically uh, you take a bunch of guys, interlock their shields, and they kind of act sort of as a, a singular group to move forward. Okay, if you don't know, you can watch Roman Empire on Netflix. Your phalanx will be very happy. <laughs> 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 you can learn a lot. Yes, I know, but the way Very that I like the way that you use the word phalanx just now. Not technically correct, no. but but good for the situation. Not All right, so um, 
So I'm yes. So, so basically, the the way in which the group is able to, uh, with, because of, I mean, once again, it's a very hierarchical. A lot of times, you know. Well, but I mean, the, the whole point has been from the very beginning that uh, the, the schemas, which are everything that's based on for all living being things that function in the environment, all have to have schemas, which are by their nature hierarchical. You can't escape it, but there are uh, there's there's a place uh, yeah which I, I don't want to get too far afield here because we're supposed to be reading this and not right. just go, going off well, I mean, entirely on my own uh, uh, things here. But um, that's part of it, though. Yeah, people uh, can read it themselves. They look us up for uh, commentary. That's true. Um, so and there there is a um, it's it's kind of like whenever we think of causes, there is a, whenever we think of causality, this relates very strongly to. Our ideas of causality are extremely linear, and causality doesn't work that way. Like whenever you watch the show Connections, and I've talked about this a number of times, uh, where they link one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next the next thing, so that it's kind of like the butterfly effect, but more about scientific discoveries. And they said, you know, a guy having coffee in Milan at you know four o'clock in the afternoon the only, is what led to space travel. You know, it's like there was, uh, you know, because the, they can fit all these things that were happenstances that came together and created that event without which, you know, did, you know, taking one of them out of it seems like it might. But the thing is, it kind of, uh, I like to use this example as when you look at that, you know something's kind of wrong with it. And that is because there is our idea. Yes, our idea of causality is very linear. And we don't, and, and there is another form of causality, which is more uh, simultaneous. And so the simultaneous configuration of the world is also part of causality. And that's that's something that is very, it's, it's surprisingly difficult to get across and and difficult to uh, to talk about, but uh, so that's kind of the same thing. Whenever we talk about hierarchy, is that there is a, there are along with the hierarchy, there is another form of simultaneous arrangement that is just as crucial as what as the more obviously apparent hierarchy. Hierarchies are very apparent to us. They show up. They're easy. They're simple. And we don't realize how much a lot of times they are utterly dependent upon these other simultaneous effects that uh, without which, in other words, a lot of even scientific design always has the same limitation where they tend to think only of the linear, this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this, without thinking about exactly how much impact the simultaneous configuration of the universe all around each one of those things is just as contributory to that event as the thing that came before it that they're so simply thinking of. And so that's a big problem in, sci in, in design of experiments and, uh, and consideration of them, specifically in physics. And so I, that's why I end up talking about this frequently, because it is a huge problem of conception that all of us have a difficulty with. I have difficulty with it. Everyone I talk to has some level of difficulty with this. Um, Except that I don't. <laughs> that's true. You have, no, you have absolutely no concept of linearity. No. You're lacking it. Everything to you happens at the same time. Right. <laughs> uh, but, okay. So, <laughs> it's something we have established a long time ago. She has no linear existence. <laughs> the type thing. All right. Um, all right. So, they find the position in the phalanx, employ the resources of the entire group against the challenges of nature and the unknown. To do so, they rearrange their internal natures so that they can exist in productive harmony within their group. This grouping requires conflict, war, within or between individuals, and then its resolution. As a child matures, for example, 
He has to temper his passion so that they reflect his desires and the desires of the group. Successful negotiation of these conflict of interests is no simple matter of subjugation either. No mere dominance of the superego. The group wants the individual to manifest the possibilities of his being in the manner most be uh, beneficial across the different spans of time and place and to the smallest and largest number of individuals simultaneously. The group thus offers the individual the opportunity to extend his powers as well as forcing their limitations. To what manner must an individual manifest himself, therefore, in order to address all of these intrapsychic and social demands? The answer can be found in a more elaborated analysis of exploratory behavior and the communication of in, in, and integration of its consequences. So what he's saying here is uh, great. Uh, I really like it. But basically he's saying that not only it, it benefits the group for an individual to have some indiv individuality within certain limits. In other words, so long as it does not utterly conflict with the with the group then it is very beneficial to the group that it, that he be he, that he expand and explore and, and it's just like how invention itself creates wealth where the first time that we that somebody came up with a wheelbarrow you know that other people could just copy it they didn't need to have to understand how a wheelbarrow right. worked and i know that sounds weird to or you no, I mean it's it's really there's a lot there's a lot of very simple things that people simple don't understand that they can just use and they just copy it and so it's there therefore their mind can be specialized in other things right. and that's how the group ends up making up a hive mind and they can accomplish more as a group instead different of different specializations right because they all specialize their brains into these different things and so it's very beneficial to be able to have all these well, specialists work together but the problem You're describing is describing technology right but the problem yeah nobody knows how to make a pencil. Um, that's a Milton Friedman, Friedman, uh, Friedman, Milton Friedman, uh, quote where it's, uh, where he talks about how like all these different specializations come together. But the thing is those specializations don't just, don't randomly conflict with each other and they, they have to come together in a harmony that works together and doing that, uh, coordination, uh, is very important. And that coordination can go haywire. And that's what we have when, when you have the breakdown of complex societies that's like occurring to ours is that we have where individual, um, you know, individual attempts to to uh, self-actualize and things like that end up disrupting society, and they end up taking more than they give back to that society, and that, that ends up. Uh, but then, not only is there that, there is the 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 way in which um, dominance hierarchies are negotiated. He's talking about leading to to war. Well, there's a big difference between two different kinds of competition. That is competition within limits. That is, that is, there's a, there's really an intention of the competition. Now, this, people aren't aware of this, but there is an intent to competition, and there is intent to competition when it is absolute. Not on an individual level. Or? Period. Not. I mean, I'm talking about across different uh, situations, that, and that is when you there is all no holds barred, does not matter, absolute annihilation, which that that is deception and uh, trying to take unfair advantage and. You know, so basically cheating, deception, exploitation, all of those things are part of competition with an absolute destruction mindset, okay. absolute annihilation of whatever that other is. It is a complete right. other thing. And so when you engage in deception and, and things of that, those, those sorts of things in competition, that is absolute annihilation of an other. Whereas there is uh, good sportsmanship to competition, where if everyone knows that, well, they don't know it consciously, but there are right. lots of systems where the competition is never intended to annihilate. Well, he described that in the beginning as cooperative game. Right. Well, it's not just cooperative game. It is like whenever you see fights among animals in a group, 
they look like they're, you know, they're damaging. Like, you watch baboons with their gigantic fucking teeth, and they're, like, you know, flipping out on each other. The truth of the matter is very little damage is really done. Uh, and that's because the competition is designed to be only to find that which should be higher up in the hierarchy. Oh, In other words, it is the find the find what is seeking. right. It is literally merit seeking. The thing is, our conscious minds have been able to go around merit seeking because we like merit seeking. There happened by some automated system. In other words, the automated systems of nature created a merit seeking system, and, and that's, of course, there's ways to do this that are complicated. Right, and now we have these merit theoretically merit uh, uh, seeking systems that are not merit based at all. Where deception and, and cheating and things like that are, are merit, the dominant strategy merit. because we did not because we thought we could design a good merit system and we fucking failed horribly at it and that happens all the time and so it is that we try to co consciously create these simple systems that are theoretically merit based and they're not even remotely similar to merit based they're entirely based off of uh, 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 you know granting uh, superior advantage to the to uh, unfair uh, um, situations. So in other words, like one of the things that we find whenever we're trying to have just games that are for merit-seeking is you always want the playing field to be exactly the same. Right. Because that, that's that's the whole point is to find, to try to find that which is actually merit-based. You have to have the same baseline. You have to have all of these things, you know, as many things uh, similar as possible. Now, uh, in a complex reality, there's so many ways in which that can go wrong and we, where we can make all, all of these things along this one metric be the same, these other things that are actually way more important to our long-term survival and things like that may be completely ignored. And so that's how we end up creating games that look from a simplistic perspective to have all things equal when they're not. They're vastly dissimilar along these other metrics that are extremely important. And we don't even we're not even aware that those metrics are important until it you know plays out over time and we see oh we fucking totally failed at designing this game, uh, you know it looks like we set it up for for you know something valuable to win and we set it up for something evil and horrible to win and the evil and horrible always wins now according to these new rules that we've set up in society that right. we did consciously because it didn't develop over millions of years it developed in tiny tiny uh, spans of uh, with very very few tests uh, that humans did during this tiny period of civilization just ridiculously tiny and our whole ability with symbolic thought and creation of games and things like that that uh you know we're just we're such noobs we're just so utterly we're failing over and over so you're saying it's barely got testing right there's there's no testing basically we're 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 in something we're like trying to play the game when we're way before alpha testing stage okay that's what's happening and, and it's and to us it seems like well we've had all these thousands of years to no no thousands of years not even close <laughs> not even close to seeing you know the the larger perspective and understanding how all the various systems but we're we're doing damn good truthfully you know compared to how little time that we've had you know as we're now seeing things like oh our old ideas of game theory are complete fucking trash now we're getting oh oh we we keep having these aha moments and then nobody wants to really point out how bad we, we had it just 50 it. years ago how fucking stupid we had it <laughs> but we're getting there we're getting there quickly there's actually been some some really rapid advancements so um, all right. Um, yeah, so he's talking about, uh, you know, human beings having to, to have these Indeed. interesting elaborations of the psychological means of dealing with chaos. Um, so let's see. Where was, where was the part I was at here? Talking to them? All right. So consider the game once again, and then 
the game of games. The best player is not necessarily he or she who wins a given game or even a sequence of games. My god, I didn't read ahead and this perfectly matches with what I was saying. I love it. Alright, um, the best player... <laughs> Do what? I would. Uh, the best player is he who plays such a game, uh, such that the game continues and expands so that he and others have the greatest chance to play and excel. In a communal game. Exactly. Which is well, what that's the point. Is that's the thing is is the the game is a uh, community, and that's when we when we play the game to utterly destroy, and when what we're destroying is it. actually something that is us, and we have to simply decide it is other. Then yeah. you so they, we're back it fucks to the artificial borders. Right, and it just comes to our conscious minds are too focused on individuality, and that's mm -hmm. the thing is conscious, wakeful thought is extremely extremely hyper focused on individuality without any recognition whatsoever of our interconnection and the, the interlocking connection of, of our actual existence and our very real individual existence and how much it interlocks with other individuals is just something we're just fucking horrible at. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Oh my God. He, oh my God. He's actually getting into being a good sport. Holy fucking ball sacks. Okay. I can't, I, I've never heard anybody else talking about sportsmanship in this context. Like I normally do. That's, that is amazing. I now love Jordan Peterson. <laughs> this is this is so narcissistic for me to just like be. Oh my God, he's talking about the same things I I do. I, I love, love him. him. <laughs> I love him. He's so smart. He's <laughs> so wonderful. He's so smart and so wonderful. <laughs> I love this guy. I just love this guy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which when a child is told to be a good sport, this is how he is instructed to behave. The precise rules uh, comprising the metagame be a good sport sport may not may yet be implicit in large uh, in large part too complex to be fully formulated this does not mean they do not exist we dream uh, continuously of the individual who will manifest the pattern of most successfully manif uh, manifest that pattern most successfully and search for him or her everywhere uh, what is the best way to successfully play the largest number of games the answer is not simply computable. Yeah. Oh my God. He's even getting into, into computability. Okay. Um, over time, different modes of playing emerge in the attempt to seek the solution. Each individual wants to be maximally valued. Pure aggression is one possible solution. The physically dominant individual can force others to value him as a player. Sufficient display of negative emotion can have the same effect. Someone may be invited on multiple occasions into different games by appealing to the sympathy of other players. Uh, and there's also, what he's not talking about, the next part, which is the uh, illusion of scarcity. One can simply be, oh, I am far too busy. Oh my god, I'm so busy. Are you busy? I'm busy. You're busy. We're busy. I'm busy, busy, busy. So important. So valuable. Um, and then, these are not optimal solutions, however. Uh, even among chimps, rule of the merely strong is unstable. Rule of the weak, likewise, breeds resentment. Social animals want reciprocity and will not give continually. Such behavior is too costly and easily manipulated. Multiple modes of pot potential playing compete for predominance during childhood. Such competition and cooperation extends into a more sophisticated extends in a more sophisticated manner across adult being. What is the victor among those multiple modes across many individuals? Extend that question further. 
What is the victorious mode of play across many individuals, across many groups, over historically sig significant epochs of time? Consideration of the ancient Mesopotamian myth, the Enuma Elish, never heard of that before, the Enuma Elish, one of many stories of its type, uh, helps answer that question. Two deities exist at the beginning of time, according to the Enuma Elish. Tiamat is the goddess of chaos, and chaos is the mother of all uh, things. She is reptilian in nature, logically enough, as the reptile has constantly threatened our lives and our societies, while increasing our vision for tens of millions of years. Uh, Apsu, her husband, is the god of order, the foundation of being. The pair nestles together in the deep, just like the two halves of the famous Talus symbol. Their sexual, creative union gives rise to the elder gods, the primary motivational states. Their dysregulated and careless behavior results in the death of Apsu, order, and the vengeful reemergence re of his bride. That's also oh. Shiva and Shakti yeah. versus Shiva and Kali. Hastily organized, uh, organizing themselves in the face of this threat, the elder gods elect Marduk, god of exploration, vision, and speech, as king, top of the sacred dominance hierarchy, and send him out voluntarily, and send him out to voluntarily confront chaos in the guise of his great grandmother. Emerging victorious, Marduk cuts Tiamat, Tiamat into pieces and makes the world. This is the oldest and most fundamental story that mankind possesses. It echoes through ancient Egypt, and uh, that state's conceptions of Horus, the redemptive, attentive, I, Isis, the god, uh, goddess of chaos, and Osiris, the god of the state. It serves as a source for the creation of uh, the story, the, for the creation story in the Hebrew Bible, and profoundly influences Christianity. Uh, it is the story of St. George and Christ, the perfect man, uh, the second Adam, uh, and the deadliest enemy of death, and the eternal serpent. Uh, its existence and meaning should not be overlooked by psychologists increasingly cognizant of the evolutionary shaping of being. This is great, and I recommend, uh, uh, let's see, a, a book that, that uh, he may have actually read, if I were to guess over here on my shelf. I'm going to go grab it just a second because I can't remember the name of it. Um, where is it? Ah, there it is. No, wait. Ah, I can't find it, but I know it's Cosmos and History. Uh, is uh, if, you, if you Google that, the, the rest of the book title will come into, into play. Also happens to be the name of the journal I publish in. Um, all right. But that's it's, a, it's actually a, um, I think that they named themselves that as a Hats off to this this author who wrote that book, Cosmos and History. Um, all right. Uh, it is time to understand these stories instead of considering them the superstitious enemy of science. The great myths of mankind are not theories of objective existence. They are, instead, imaginative roadmaps to being. They have emerged painstakingly piecemeal as a consequence of our continual close self-observation, our developing understanding of the patterns of action that are essentially adaptive in their representation in symbolic, narrative, and dramatic form during the transition from implicit behavioral pattern to explicit communicable form. So right here, he's just talked about something that I talk about all the time, which is I believe that our ancient stories are a representation of our genetic memory. In other words, genetic memory is, has been established, period. So what we have is aggregated experience. Uh, well, whatever. Oh, my God. Okay, so other animals have genetic memory and we don't. Whatever. Uh, those arguments just piss me off. Uh, it's like, yes, there are some differences between but animals, and those can be very asterisk. important at times. Yes, I know, but there are so there, the similarities between a, uh, animals vastly outweigh the differences. Um, 
Alright, so... Alright, well, going back... Well, I've been established and we're safe. Yes, uh, I think that this is part of our uh, genetic memory, and that basically these stories and, and our usage of them is, um, you know, basically goes, it's deeply embedded. And what he's been talking about is the development of these instincts and, their map, and the map schemas that are basically kind of inherent and in how, you know, there is, you know, sort of a bios to our, the human brain. There are these, these first steps that lead to our, even our ability to capture information. And, you know, things, I think he got to that. I hope he did. I think he did. I, I know it's just part of neuroscience, and I'm, I'm kind of assuming, based on memory, that uh, we cover that in this paper. But um, the point is that uh, he's what he's saying now is that the, these stories are kind of an expression of the way that our brains are organized down from. He, so there is both. There's a reflection of it over time in the um, evolutionary history of, of man and, and as genetic memory. But then, what is memory? And when you think about the fact that the structures of the eye, for instance, are very crucial in the way that your brain interprets vision, you know, the, the, you can't just hook your brain up to something else and, and with that, with no, you know, uh, with just a, just take it. You can't hook it system. up to a DSLR um, and put a cord into your brain and get the right signal from it. It's just not gonna, you're not gonna interpret it correctly. So therefore, all these biological structures are part of a system of memory. In other words, the way in which things are arranged in the body are a system of memory as well. So whatever I'm talking about, instinct and, um, uh, like I was recently talking to somebody who was a uh, neuroscientist, and I had to, you know. Talk with them, and eventually they, they ended up agreeing with me. But they, you know, they were they were really really well. We know the instinct actually those it's in this one little part of the brain. And I was like, no, that's not the only place that instinct resides. You're putting too fine of orders on what exactly is instinct, and there are all these things that are required, you know, that are part of the machinery that you think of as just that one brain area. But all these things had the had these different parts of the body not been developed in this way, the signals that would reach that brain area you think of would be completely different, and therefore the outputs would be different. So you can't separate it so easily like that. Right. So anyway, so the whole point is that the that Jordan Peterson here is talking about the way in which these stories are also on an individual level, not just in that longer term, but in our individual level, there are these map schemas that are down at the you know animal part of our brain that that kind of lead to these stories having a resonance to us. That's why that's why we end up telling the same stories over and over. I believe is what he's getting to because right. that seems that, that seems he, logical. <laughs> see, Seems like he's that's what he's getting to, and it's certainly what I'm saying because that yeah, is true. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> at, at some points, I'm not sure if I'm just reading into it or if he if that's exactly what he's saying. Right. Um, okay, so they are instead imaginative roadmaps to being. They have emerged painstakingly, piecemeal, as a consequence of our continual close, continual close self-observation, our developing understanding of the patterns of action that are essentially adaptive, and their represent representation in symbolic, narrative, and dramatic form during the transition from implicit behavior patterns to explicit, communicable forms. We tell stories about how to play, not about how to play the game, but about how to play the metagame, the game of games. When chaos threatens, confront it as quickly as possible, eyes open, voluntarily. Activate the neural circuitry uh, underlying active exploration, uh, inhibiting confusion, fear, and the generation of damaging stress uh, responses, and not the circuitry of freezing and escape. In other words, he's saying that that's what, how you translate the, those, those uh, implicit ideas of how to play the, the metagame. Uh, cut the unknown into pieces. Take it apart with 
hands, thumbs, and mind, and formulate or reformulate the world. Free, uh, free the valuable gold from the dragon of chaos, transform leaden inertia into gilded action, uh, enhance your status, and gain the virgin maiden, just like the first of your tree-dwelling tree ancestors, who struck a predatory sn snake with a stick, chased it away, and earned the eternal gratitude of Mistress Mother Ruth. He's talking about essentially uh, power of stories. Yes. Uh, I actually have a, a bunch of articles on the knowledge of storytelling and the power of it and all that. So that's yeah, and how much of it. And it's not just not just any storytelling also, though, but he's talking about Fictional. specifically about these stories that relate very directly to the way that human beings developed. Uh, these, these stories are analogies. They are aggregations of human experience over you know millions of years. In other words, it, it comes down to us as instinctual there are instinctual stories about reality that are embedded in the way that our brains work and so that's why these stories express themselves in these various forms that we that end up being religious in nature um so it's basically it's a it's a long-term sensing of reality it is it is what humanity got about the universe that's so that's what we got that's the story we we figured out about what the universe is doing or how to do it uh, when he's talking about the uh, how to play the game, when chaos mm -hmm. threatens, confront it as quickly as possible, eyes open voluntarily. He's representing one specific way of, uh, of uh, when talking about courage and like how, how important courage is. And there's there's so many ways you can look at the importance of courage. I mean, there are of course the reason why we have cowardice is because there is a point at which that it is valuable. It's just some systems get stuck um, over time. In other words, they get stuck in the wrong place and don't adapt and don't change. And so all of these different, there's all these different things that in small amounts are uh, the reason why we have them, why they're part of the human makeup is because they have a place. They have a, a time and place for right. action where they are the superior uh, way of doing things. Uh, even those things that look like uh, vice are, uh, are virtue under the right set of circumstances and the right uh, situation. Well, we mentioned so. that about gambling. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like a gambler, you, if you're if shit's... Shit's going wrong. You need to be a fucking gambler. You know, you Pirates, need to. Fire war. Right. Um, yeah. If, if the whole world's falling the fuck apart, it's a good idea to be a gambler because you know the the level of risk that is already present it cannot be significantly increased, whereas the reward can be significantly increased. But it's so uh, dangerous to manufacture scarcity. Right, because you induce you induce. There's we have lots of different prototypical brain types that are all present in our in our epigenetics. We have various epigenetic pro profiles that change the way just that uh, a given individual during their development in the womb, during their development in their life, at all stages there are influences that you can change that will make an individual go off in these others that are they're kind of stereotype sets of behaviors that, that basically think of like archetypes. Exactly, that we've got tons of t tons and tons of different plans built into us by nature, then selecting those plans. Ready for shit. Yeah, we, selecting those those various plans happens, you know, over time as we get a sense of the world. And it's not us getting a sense of the world. It's our it's our physiology. It's our uh, the very at the very much deeper level. Our physiology is getting an idea of what the real situation of the world is and responding to it in ways that that are that can change the body. They, like, we're talking about hormonal the, levels. It, it changes massive things. So. This is where the mind-body connection comes in because we can trick the body or rather not, res not respond to the environment or what's trying to be induced by essentially mind 
Right, it really there, is there are epigenetic changes. It is nature yeah, and oh, yeah. it's both. And at it the continues same time. changing. Right. As, you know, but also even things like are you were you born in a uh, cold environment or a hot environment changes how much bo- bo- uh, body uh, fat you gain. Yeah, there's so many different so. pre existing conditions uh, and plus and then changes based on environment and there's it's just there's just way more to it than anybody with a with even better than a cursory glance, even a fairly close look at it, a lot of times misses just this gigantic swath of complexity. All right, the third form of meaning has little to do with group identity, except insofar as that it serves as a precursor precursor to its form, formation. It is instead the story of mankind and the meaning to be experienced when that heroic story is imitated, understood, and embodied. My God, this is—he is definitely talking about this book. I gotta go find it. Hold on. You, you, let me. I gotta look again. It's—it's it's it's definitely here. Yeah, there it is. The myth of the eternal return. Okay, that's what it's called. It's a different name. <laughs> All right, Mercia Allayed. Uh, it's called the myth of the eternal return. It's just—it's got two different titles. One is Cosmos and History, and the other is the myth of the oh, eternal return. Yeah, it's weird that it has. But um, but I'll the, see if I can find a link to it. The myth of the eternal return is the book that he's basically kind of. Uh, talking about a little bit to tell people what to know about but surprise maybe the myth of the eternal return is based on some specific paper that he's citing but anyway uh that's a good book i recommend uh that i haven't not i have not yet read enough of to really say exactly why other than i've got heard a lot of recommendations from people i trust and a lot of concepts uh, about it uh and concepts from it that i have gleaned that uh you know, are, fit in a lot of various places. A lot of people have used and make a tremendous amount of sense. Um, so, so I recommend it for myself as well. <laughs> um, okay. Under the loving tutelage of the ever virgin mother, guided by the wisdom of his forefathers, he always threatened nascent hero masters known territory and becomes keenly aware of its limitations and errors. He sees the danger threatening before anyone else because he is willing to see it, while others turn away their eyes. The patriarchal structure has become too rigid and self-serving. The widows and children are being ignored, and God's wrath, in the form of watery chaos, threatens. Public morality has become too chaotic, and it is time for a return to the individual and collective values that have always ensured the survival of mankind. The hero sacrifices himself to God, offering up his own petty interests to the greatest possible good and confronts the too rigid social structure or the looming chaos but uh, with nothing but his own courage and truth. It is uh, very easy to be cynical about such things but we, but we have many modern examples to consider. Gandhi stopped the British Empire dead in its tracks following Tolstoy whose morality was directly informed by Orthodox Christianity. Tough-minded observers uh, have noted that Gandhi's strategies would not have worked against Stalin or Hitler who would have just uh, had him executed. Nonetheless, single individuals brought down tyrannies of such magnitude in the 20th century as well, um, in the 20th century as well. Uh, Sol- Solzhenitsyn's um, 1975 Gulag Archipelago, uh, an amazing example of individual courage, 
of individual use of, of the word demolish the intellectual and moral credibility of communism forever. Vaclav uh, Havel performed a similar role in Czechoslovakia. It is not for nothing that we consider the individual of the highest value in the West. And so basically what he's talking about is we continually tell the story of the one. Like in the Matrix, that's just a retelling of the same story about you know the uh, how our systems end up becoming they end up becoming a dead end. Our systems are terrible. Right. It's exactly it's like our and that is that's it's the story of death. The it's it's the story of the necessity okay. of death. The, the only reason why animals have an end date to their life is because they they there is a level of adaptation that is required that most animals cannot actually uh, carry out. There's one animal in the world that we know of that basically is immortal. It's called the immortal jellyfish. And what does it do? It returns to innocence. It basically eliminates all the memories that are perpetrated on it by its experiences and returns back to Apollo stage. And that is the only way in which it can live eternally because there are these systems of reality that require death. And death is revolution. Revolution and death are the same thing on a group basis. When our systems that are met, that were initially created for good reason because there, there was a previous cycle in which those, those systems were good and they were valuable and they were necessary and they worked. And, but eventually, as we build, just like whenever you look at the, the laws in, in any uh, place like the, in the United States, the laws have become so complex that the laws only serve to create injustice instead of creating justice because they've become so complex. Because they've had to be over and over, they're a ball of like from a pr programming standpoint, every software package eventually becomes incapable of really uh, fitting the situation that eventually evolves over time. And what happens is the way in which you design it from the very beginning sets a, uh, a set of of uh, outcomes, a limited set of outcomes from which it can explore, from which it can actually kind of, you know, move around. And, and then whenever you try to update it, you end up creating workarounds whenever there is, it is not capable of doing certain things. And the, the longer a software package goes, the more you have these workarounds that reduce its stability. Right. And the same thing happens in governmental systems and same things happen in biology. And that's why you have individuals that they, they start out generalized, specialized. And, and that specialization die. is breeding in weakness. That's what specialization is. Yes, specialization is also the obvious thing that we know, which is makes it more capable and more powerful at a specific thing. And right. we know the value of, uh, of specialization. They're obvious. What is not obvious is the weakness of specialization and how it is. That's why death exists in the world is specifically because the cycle has to continue, and the only way to avoid uh, premature death is through that renewal process. And that's one of the things that uh, I believe that comes out in the the whole Christian spiritual narrative is the idea that you know you must be born again. You must be born again. And that has a very significant and uh, truth about it. That it, it when it comes to basically revolutionizing all of your base assumptions and being able to forget all of your preconceived notions and be able to adapt to a new situation and because we are all Bayesian systems that have this bi these biases that are based upon a very limited data set. The problem is you can't have an unlimited data set. You have to have some sort of limited data set. You have to pick a data set to work with. But that data set will always end up being wrong at some point. So therefore all you do is you pick something and try and then 
have to pick something again. And that's what that, that, that the, the cycle of generations in, in, in animals, that's why it exists, is because you ha- they, we keep, you know, we, we have to pick some limited data set because you, you can't do any, you can't keep going into the, it's called the halting problem. You can't keep going in regression. You can't keep, you know, uh, getting a bigger and bigger data set. And so you know, that's why these things exist, is because there is a limitation to the process of exploring a changing thing. And that's why you have this. And that's why we have to, you know, in our own lives, if we can simulate that which is death, which is revolution, then we can actually renew ourselves. And we find this happens all the way down at the cellular level. There are things called, um, uh, shit, what's it called? Um, senescent cells. And the way in which you uh, can increase, oh man, you're working with super glue right now. Dude, please do not put it up near your face. Stop doing that. Um, okay. Thank you for that distraction. Uh, what was I saying? Fuck. <laughs> Give this to yourself. Yes, I did. I did this to myself. Ah, oh, crap. You totally blew me off the, off track there. It was like I as soon as I as soon as I sense danger, sense <laughs> immense danger. That's <laughs> nothing. Super glue near the eyes, holding it with your mouth and. And squeezing it, and oh god, okay. Um, <laughs> squeezing it near your face. Oh, uh, what was I saying? Uh, senescent okay, cells. Senescent cells. Thank you, God. All right, so senescent cells at the cellular level. There, uh, whenever we uh, kill off senescent cells, that actually leads to making individuals live longer. That is the the, the very forefront of anti aging technology. Uh, has to do with the elimination of senescent cells. And well, then I was also going to say is the one of the ways that something becomes cancerous mm-hmm. is it no longer responds to the apoptotic signal, and that is whenever basically uh, cells are given a signal to Ooh, kill themselves, and when they don't listen to that signal from the rest of the other cells that are giving it, that is one of the central. Um, characteristics of a cancerous cell is it no longer listens to the um, the, the signal for apoptosis uh, and it just continues grabbing up resources and eventually it grabs up so much resources as an individual that it leads to the death of the group and, and does that sound familiar at all it should um, okay so let's go back on on course here Yes, getting getting edgy talking about the truth. I know it. Um, the third form of meaning is not to be found in Slavish allegiance, slavish, <laughs> Slavic <Aww>. slavish. Sorry, <laughs> it's found in slavish allegiance to a system of beliefs, nor to specific position in a given dominance hierarchy, nor to incautious and wanton exposure to chaos. It is to be found on the border of chaos and order, yin and yang, as the Taoists have always insisted. It is to be found in the voluntary pursuit of interest, that subtle prodding by the orienting complex, which turns our heads involuntary towards the most informative places in our experiential fields, and lets us see the glimmers of redemptive chaos shining through the damaged structure of our current schemas. That glimmer is the star that has always guided us, the star that signifies the birth of the hero. 
and when followed is the guardian angel who ensures that the path we trod is meaningful enough so that we can bear the burden of mortal limitation without resentment, arrogance, corruption, and malevolence. Life is not the consistent shrinking away from the terror of death, hiding behind an easily pierced curtain of beliefs. Life is the forthright challenging of the insufficiencies that confront us and the powerful, life-affirming, existential meaning that such pursuit instinctively produces. It is that which keeps the specter of mortality at bay while we work diligently, creatively, at work whose meaning is so powerful and self-evident that the burden of existence seems well worth bearing. Terror management be damned. The path of the eternal hero beckons, and it is the doomed and dangerous fool who turns his back on it. God damn. Fuck yeah, dude. Well, motherfucking said. That's how, I think that's, yeah, that's the end of the paper. Holy shit. That was fucking awesome. That was, that it. was goddamn inspiring. And, and because, because <laughs> it so res resonates with exactly my worldview. It's like, it's like, I had no idea there was anyone who could, uh, who could put my worldview in other terms. I, you know, it's, I'm just fucking blown away. The last couple of pages. Are yeah, no, he fucking nailed it. Fucking Nailed it. He even got into Armenian angels. Yeah, I mean, he he's he even talked about uh, well, he talked about a lot of different things that I talked about. So uh, well, yeah. Okay, now. <laughs> Once again, I'm being narcissistic as hell. Love the shit out of it because it goes exactly with what I believe. <laughs> now we're gonna have to give an abridged version of any kind of comments that live stream podcast, and then our most precious thoughts close to our hearts as they go into discord for patrons or for conversations sounds good as a bonus content so patrons not <laughs> interested um, but yeah, if the, en the end lesson ask, here yeah. you are the one okay that's what I that the Everyone, yes, we we are all following the path of the one, and that the one is basically the journey of consciousness, of realization, of our place in and as the group, and, and that is basically what that is, and it is, and, and that's why, you know, there is people see revolution as some sort of simple, you know, chaos, when in fact, no, it is specifically only the destruction of that which is. Decrepit. It is the we we attempt to burn out the rotting flesh only. We do we try to save the the, the the flesh that is still good, and, and it is crucial to do both. It is crucial to rightly divide that which is rotten, standing in our way, and to save that which is still valuable and good, and and to and, and then also part of those drives towards you know sympathy and and, and all of those things. They all have to be tempered. And those drives to destroy that which is in the way has to be tempered. And we have to find a balance that is extremely difficult. And none of us, you know, uh, can ever perfectly do it because it's just not something that's computable. That's what he was talking about. It's not computable. You can't, you can't be perfect at it. That's why reality, that's why biology, that's why everything is constantly in flux. It's constantly searching for a changing, moving, it's, it's a moving target. So therefore, there's no way to... There's no way to perfectly hit a moving target because it's continually moving. Perfection itself is something that can only exist for one moment. So anything that is perfect is instantaneously imperfect. 
the whole idea of perfectionism that we we tend towards is a wrong-headed way of looking at things. It is a broken way of looking at things. We instead have to understand that there's constant change. The only way that perfection actually can exist in some strange form is through constant change and constant adaptation and constant consider reconsideration and the, the, the cycle of revolution, that cycle of life and death that we see around us has a purpose. And if we can, uh, the funny thing is, one the, there are a lot of things in various religions that I strongly believe are very valuable lessons. And one of them is if we can be born again, we will live eternally. And what they mean by this is from a, if you look at this from a perspective uh, like a much larger, you know, far away perspective. That is a truth. That is a truth about the the rules of eternity are this this cycle of rebirth. And if we can live some of that in our own lives, we do literally, directly stave off aging. Even and we we see the effects of it. That we see the truth of it in everything around us. So uh, I gotta go close the back door because somebody's got some goddamn smoking coming right in our fucking back door. It is unfortunate. Try to get fresh air and get Exactly. It is an unfortunate uh, thing that we have to deal with where we try to get fresh air by opening the back um, door. However, that is also the place where people So a couple times a day in our quest to get fresh air, we get that constant. So uh, unfortunately, secondhand does quite uh, permeate one's body, so we get a notification of having closed the door because it's felt um, like somebody lit up a cigarette straight up in our living room. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, thanks, uh, <laughs> At least we know the, the fresh air pro proliferates. And that's useful, you know, if you guys, by the way, those of you who work from home or stay at home a lot, um, if you don't get fresh air, uh, it'll fuck you up on a carbon monoxide oxygen level but also like you well, got to look at nature it's nice well, carbon monoxide only because of cars and shit like that are nearby you know carbon but, but carbon's not dioxide okay yes we live too close to a highway by the way and then so I, i've been considering <laughs> the, the the carbon monoxide the ambient carbon monoxide level All right, for us it's both carbon dioxide <laughs> and monoxide so like if we uh keep the door closed it's dioxide if we keep it open too much we get smoke and monoxide um that was it. Already, I no, I've, I have closed all that I can close. Closed all your thoughts. My thoughts are closed. <laughs> Let's see. We're going through the uh, any kind of comments, etc. Yes. Before we go into the after show. What? Is this about par parasitism? Okay. Oh, well, parasitism is a thing that exists, and one of the things you'll find is that typically uh, nature uh, uh, does not uh, long suffer. Does not long suffer uh, a lot of different forms of um, uh, parasitism. You'll find that parasitism ends up being eliminated in a lot of cases until the par the parasite finds some sort of. Um, harmony with it and then uh, like you'll find there are some parasites where they're in the they're evolutionary in the process evolutionarily in the process of being eliminated uh some cases they're uh in the process of being integrated 
And so there's kind of a continuum of parasitism, but, you, but looking at it from a very large perspective, you'll see that parasitism tends to be uh, along a slope that is falling away from remaining simply parasitic. Uh, it's, it's usually tending towards there are processes like, um, uh, what's a good example? Uh, oh, like the green tree frog, uh, not tree frog, the green frog, where you have uh, a form of parasitism of the system is uh, this? Uh, I've, I've actually frogs fog roots that resemble their caretaker mother frog. Yeah, okay, that's not what I was talking about. <laughs> Even if they imprint it on a different gene number, the mother frog. Yes, that's true. Okay, great. All right, and so they as like I was saying, boyfriend focus on That's some some edible electric or something. Yeah, it is. Okay, now now we're going to continue talking about what I was talking about, and <laughs> the uh, the green frog is one of the ways that the uh, females determine the size, which is the, the, the sexual selection criteria of the, um, uh, the male. It's, it's, it's a merit system that they attempted to have, and, and that is through, you know, being large is meritous, and so they try to select for that. So immediately what How arises is that... How can they tell, though? That they can large. tell, oh, by the depth of their croak. Uh, and so the uh, one of the things that immediately arises is uh, the... Um, smaller ones croaking more deeply than their body size uh, suggests. And so um, one of the things that they ended up uh, then developing was a habit of attacking the, um, uh, the males. And, like, and, and so what you end up having is a, another system of determining merit through, through competition that is actually occurring to overcome the parasitism, and so the system of parasitism. If the female can, you know, um, and, and I may be maybe misreporting this, but there are various systems like this where you'll see in nature that they'll it'll get down to nature will will end up developing another competition system on top of the previous ones to try to find the merit and overcome the parasitism because parasitism does arise naturally all the time. Uh, however, in general nature tends to abhor that because parasitism if uh if it becomes dominant tends to lead to uh extinction events uh and so you have because the, the system itself no longer uh cycles properly and so you'll see that it's uh, that parasitism can lead directly to destruction of the environment in which it is upon which it is reliant and so whenever we have these systems that are not sustainable, when systems that are not sustainable arise, and they certainly do, uh, then, ex then species ha uh, have the revolution event, which is death. And so the entire, the entire species dies when it develops into a corner. So basically there is a, at every um, there are various scale-based repetitions of the cycle. And so, so species, a, a single species, can, uh, by becoming too uh, specialized, reach the point at which it must die. When the species dies, that's extinction. And so there are, uh, there are various things like um, eliminating systems of real merit that end up leading to extinction events. Uh, and so when things you do, that, that's why nature abhors parasitism because of the way in which it tends to eliminate merit. Uh, you know that's that because that's what that is. That's what parasitism is about. It's attempting to, uh, you know, it, it what well, looks like. Here's the thing: it, it, it's not really attempting. It's just developing into whatever's available. 
uh, it's just you know kind of extruding into the area that can be extruded into. Uh, it's just over time, those as they get refined, they'll get refined into a system that either works or doesn't. And so what it looks like to us is that parasitism is constantly attempted, and then it either gets refined into symbiosis, or it, or it creates another interesting new system, or you know, or it leads to an extinction event. Uh, but in general, there is a that th there are certain things that, like parasitism, it is it is kind of part of the chaos that um, that does tend to degrade. That there's a there's a price for the development process. In other words, the the whenever we're developing something new, there's negatives and there's positives, and the negatives sometimes outweigh the positives, and that's one of the you know uh, parasitism itself ends up being something that leans towards eliminating merit, which is merit is the ability to continue. The ability to not just continue, but continue within the environment that it is part of, because it is part of the environment. And when it destroys the environment, it no longer has an environment, so therefore it goes extinct. It but dies. But nature is full of examples of like contained parasitism too, in the sense of like Yeah, once they find a way in sheep populations or mistletoe. Yeah, there, so there are ways in which the, it's, well, you got to think of the large, very, very large systems and very long periods of time. Yeah, because so yeah, it took the system to there die. Are, really time. There is parasitism that is not um, harmful enough to cause a problem. And so a lot of times that's how parasites can continue over longer periods is when they don't actually cause a huge problem where it's very measured parasitism. And then par measured parasitism is just predatory. It's basically, that's, that's simply the predatory um, state. Whenever, whenever animals are feeding on another animal, it's kind of like parasitism, but it's not really parasitism. It is, it is predatory. And predation is certainly part of nature. It's all throughout nature. But the point is, once it becomes a balance where it's only taking as much as is um, uh, workable, as much as is will continue to be regrown as it is, so as long as it's only taking a part that is truly uh, okay with being taken then it's not destroying the the, the things upon which it, it um, uh, relies so therefore it's not really even parasitism we call it parasitism but then you then you have to call every predator a parasite as well okay. so there's kind of a there's kind of a interplay of those two things but yeah absolutely uh, how do you define it? Eventually, eventually a parasite it? may be, then become a predator, in which case, if it's a predator, it's not going to be something that just takes and takes and takes nonstop. It's something that has some sort of self-limiting process, and uh, either self-limiting or a balance of other limiting. In other words, where the thing in which it parasitizes uh, it is limiting it to keep it in check, and so there, there ends up being a, kind of a homeostatic pattern between them. So it, it really comes down to whenever there's just a lack of balance. There's one final way to... Uh, Say parasitism. Well, I've already talked about that. Yep. Because I have an experiment. All right, let's do it in the after show. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I will say, like, the last part, he says that life is not the constant shrinking away from the terror of death, their terror of death hiding behind the easily pierced curtain of beliefs. 
the the simple the simplistic worldview in general is very uh, cowardly. There is a cowardice where people think, well, I'm just being smart. That's just being smart. No, that's being cowardly. And people don't understand that there is a risk inherent in the growth that is necessary to persist over time. And so therefore, that's why courage is such an important thing to us. Uh, and, and there are these these views of being safe. We we're safe. We gotta be safe. We gotta make you know the people who become safety obsessed. And uh, you know the uh, what are they, like the disaster planner kind of people and the people who uh, who become obsessive about uh, gathering goods uh, to a, to a huge extent. They become unbalanced because there is a necessity in looking forward. Uh, that is that is part of the of taking risks and how taking there there is a point at which risk is safety and safety is risk. There is a transition point and people don't tend to recognize that that which is normally risk becomes safety and the, and that and everything that was safety is not just risk sometimes but absolute certain death. And so understanding that there is a transition point for those things. And that our concepts of those things are often wrong is uh, is a big problem oftentimes. And so they don't realize that they're just they're just using previous data that is no longer applicable and ideas that were overly safety oriented or obsessive or fear based many times. A lot of times we it's it's very especially as we get older, we weren't really necessarily meant to live as long as we now do. Uh, and we've kind of overcome a lot of the things that would normally kill us. Uh, and so our systems are meant to store those things that are dangerous to kind of overcome them, but that's part of the process of becoming old mentally, is as you become more and more cynical, you become more safety obsessed, you become more uh, risk averse, and, uh, and people think of this as being wise, and in a certain way it is, but it also at the same time it is being rigid and incapable of, of the exploratory uh, risk taking that is absolute necessity to survival. And understanding that it that it is it is not just a good thing, but an absolute necessity. That there are risks that must be taken to explore, um, because uh, otherwise the stagnancy will fucking kill you. Um, the I guess that's just that's something that a lot of people don't think of as a as a good strategy. They think of that whenever they're thinking. Whenever you take somebody who thinks that they're very strategic, they will typically take the cowardly strategy. Uh, they will typically think everything that is safety based is the best strategy is the best strategic thinking in general whenever you're talking to people that, that has been my uh ex overwhelming experience is people whenever they think of strategy it is best to be a coward is what they end up saying they don't mean to but they right. say that uh and because they tend to have that belief that picking safety is the, the best way to go um yeah definitely that is not a robust strategy Challenger, but uh, 
longer should be enough to get your ass kicked. Dick more. Podcast. So what's your date with this bitch? For the rest of you? Next Monday? Um, uh, probably tomorrow. And what do you know? They favor the things that I live in. Oh. <laughs> you like it too? Oh, I do. I love it. I love being right. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's good. <laughs> Alright, we shall see y'all later. I'll talk to y'all Monday. Bless you. Bless it. Yes. Every I.O. is going